Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, welcome everyone to The Distraction here on Fightful.com. I am Jeremy Lambert, joined by the coal miner's glove himself, Joe Holbert. Joe, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or if that's a diss or what that is. Compliments, but I'm... It's been an interesting day. I followed Gargano Champer up immediately with Halloween Havoc 1992, which is, <laughs> I'll, I'll mention that just to explain your reference somewhat to anyone that gets hit in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's been an interesting one, Jeremy. I'm very cautious as to what we will cover today, but I hope that some of these topics will send us down an incredible, incredible road of topics. I really do, and I, I suspect it will, to be honest. Well, if you're if you're new to the show, welcome. If you are old to the show, thanks for rejoining us. But on our Thursday shows, <laughs> on our Thursday shows, um, we put five minutes on a clock. We have a list, list of topics that we talk about. We put five minutes on a clock. We go for five minutes. We usually go for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, who knows with us? And then we move on to the next topic. So we got a couple things to talk about. Not an action-packed show as far as topics because, look, there's not a lot going on in the wrestling world nowadays, folks. <laughs> it's not the, this is not the power hour, right? This is, not, <laughs> this is not where you get your TV title matches. This is the recap episode before the pay-per-views. But, yes, um, we'll do our best, right, Jeremy? We can, we can promise that much at least, right? We'll do our best. We have actually watched the wrestling, which is – that's at least something, right? That's an effort <laughs> in its own way. But yes. Not action-packed, but we're here anyway. We've got some fun topics to talk about and some where I'm pretty sure we're going to spend 15 minutes on, because especially the Brawl for All. Look, we'll get into this. I love the Brawl for All. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there right now. So that's going to be a big topic later on. First, we've finished it. The WWE March Madness Tournament, we are through. Yes, it ended in April. If you follow NCAA basketball, the actual tournament always ends in April. So don't give us any shit about that. The March Madness tournament is over, and then no surprise, if you're watching on YouTube, the winner is on your screen right now. Daniel Bryan, he he ran through the competition. He got 63% of the vote in the finals against AJ Styles. And, I mean, what can you say? Bryan, the best overall performer in WWE, according to the distraction audience. I actually think, while you uh, suspected about the burial of AJ Styles. I actually think his performance probably gave him a late boost. But, yeah, this was as to be expected, right? We kind of saw this coming. Um, AJ has been great over the last few months and apparently had the match of the year last weekend. So <laughs> it is a massive compliment to Daniel Bryan that he defeated him. Um, after what was 
it's not a WrestleMania to remember for Daniel, right? I think that's fair to say, but no one cares today. So here we are. We have a first winner of this illustrious tournament that will live on. I'm going to say it, Jeremy. It's going to live on for decades, okay? And Brian made it clear he wanted to win it. He doesn't know how many years he's got left, so you got to give respect to Daniel, right? What, what a run he's had. He went for every range of competition, similar opponents, different opponents, won them all easily, so fair winner in my mind. That's true. Brian, I mean, maybe he's got next year, but after that, if he's not a full-time guy, he, he might not be in yep. this tournament. So this could be... Um, 90, 96, 97, Jordan for Daniel Bryan. He's maybe got the two-peat in him, but after that, he's going to retire, go play baseball, go do something else. I'm glad you brought it up. I'm going to take this back to like the second week of our podcast just for a moment. Was WrestleMania 1996 for Sasha Banks' Michael Jordan comparison? <laughs> because Hell in a Cell was 95 because she lost, right? Right. So I... I assume that she's missed her 96 because I think that was WrestleMania, unless he's coming in the summer. These are the questions I have. Anyone that understands this reference, how they're still with us, I have no clue. But I did have to mention it because I was meant to mention it a week ago. Uh, I think, look, Jordan had the flu game. I, I don't know if Sasha is having – she didn't have the coronavirus WrestleMania performance that we, we needed from her. <laughs> wow, that might be the most damning criticism of all. <laughs> yeah, True. I mean, I don't want to look. I don't want to pick apart anyone's comparisons. You know, we're making up bad ones on here, but the clock's ticking, right? Time's running out on that one, so it's just something to keep your eye out on if you're a, a long-time distraction viewer. Again, in which case, God, man, what are you doing with yourself? But yeah, <laughs> if you are one of those, something to watch, something to follow. So, congratulations to Daniel Bryan. He wanted it. He, you know, he he stood out above it, even if. I gave AJ, if he had beaten The Undertaker and I gave him the 10% boost, he still wasn't beating Daniel Bryan. That speaks to the power of this man. I mean, was you going to keep, was the 10% thing going to be there even after he used Gallows Anderson and 10 Druids to beat Taker? Yeah, a win's a win. Look, a win is a win. Okay, any means necessary kind of deal, right? Look, look, if AJ, AJ essentially needed to Chris Paul this thing. If he's got a snitch on somebody for having an untucked jersey, the W is the W. It doesn't matter how you get it done. Imagine he did that to the Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah, look, that's, that's a fair. In fairness, a boneyard match, it isn't really particularly demanding of integrity or anything like that, right? Exactly. It's kind of it's a fight to the death, basically. So I understand AJ coming with backup. Did not work though. So the uh, the percentages with or without doesn't matter. Unfortunately, it was not to be year. Maybe next year. It's always next year. Speaking of fights to the death, the last time ever. For Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. It happened on Wednesday's NXT. It was 40-something minutes long. I guess Gargano won. I don't think there was a pinfall. Maybe I'm misremembering this whole thing. but No, there was a pinfall, yeah. Oh, was there? Okay. <laughs> they had the referee. I know the referee was there. Look, it ended, it ended with Gargano. Uh, Candice LeRae, Gargano's wife, kicking Gargano in the nuts, but Gargano had a cup on. And then Ciampa, they talked to each other. Candice came back and kicked Ciampa in the nuts, and then Gargano won. Joe, this match. What did you make of this match? I, I mean, I mentioned this to you for like five seconds before we went on air. I have, I have nothing, Jeremy. I don't, I don't even want to be mean about this match because I know that it meant something to someone and 
to that person, I'm really glad that they care about that much about this feud. But as someone that was in attendance for that first New Orleans match, and it was red hot, and Johnny was the greatest babyface, Champa was a great heel, and I could not care less. This was almost comedic to me, this match. Unintentionally hilarious match to me. Because it had the cinematic like camera work, but it had no musical uh, like score to it. And there was also no humour or kind of creativity as far as what they did. Like the Undertaker deal, me and you, was, we said about how Taker was awesome because he took it seriously, but there is still those Taker moments where he teleports and he blows something out of his hands, right? Yeah. The Bray Wyatt deal obviously is a whole other thing. It's like an imaginary <laughs> thing that happened in John's head. But this was just like a cold professional wrestling brawl with cool camera angles for 40 minutes. And then they did that, the deal where they wrestled for 40 minutes and then it got all emotional again. And Champa started like weeping about and he was saying sorry. And then it was just terrible. I hated it. I've got, I've got to say, I thought it was bad. And the adverts, the ad breaks, I don't know if that made it better or worse, easier or harder to sit through. Because there was one point where they were on top of the production truck and it was like cut to break. And then they came back and everyone was just getting off the truck. I just couldn't believe they went up top of a production truck to do super kicks to each other. I couldn't believe any of this, Jeremy. It was terrible. Look, terrible, super, terrible kicks, super kicks hurt more when you're on top of the production truck, okay? I don't oh, know if you know is. this, but they do. This, it was Edge and Orton with a Snapchat filter. That That's what it was. It was... It was just a fight. Like, they tried to do the cinematic. They, like, right when the cinematic stuff happened, people on my timeline were freaking out. They are like, oh, my God, we're getting the cinematic treatment. Like, this is going to be amazing. And it was just, it was their empty arena match. But they had, it's not even that they had, like, cool camera angles. Like, some of them were cool. So, like, they had more camera cuts. Like, (laughs) more than usual. And there's already too many camera cuts in WWE. It was... I did not care for this at all. The The callback stuff was cool. They, they tried to portray emotions. Wrestlers are wrestlers and not actors or they're failed actors for a reason. Steve Austin, great wrestler. Acting, not very good. Like, look at his movie career. It, it's it's just not good. They're, this is why The Rock is so great, because this man actually turned a, a wrestling career into a bona fide acting career. All these other wrestlers who have tried it. Hulk Hogan, this guy didn't do anything as an actor, although Mr. Nanny was very good. Um, but like most of these wrestlers are not, they're not good actors. And so when they try to do this, oh, I'm sorry, I love you, this melodramatic stuff, it, it does not work. And without a crowd, like this was a match that needed a crowd, needed a crowd to just chant this is awesome and to really pick it up and stuff. Like, it, it needed Morrow going crazy and telling you how great this stuff is to watch, but it, it did not work in this empty arena stuff. And they tried really hard. It, it was not for me at all. Yeah, I mean, I want to mention the callback thing because this is a fascinating element of match series that I, I find very intriguing. So... There is a way of doing callbacks that is very subtle and woven into the fabric of a match. Like, I, for an example, and this is not me trying to sound snobbish in any way, shape, or form, Jeremy, but the Okada Tanahashi series did that amazingly well. They would put stuff in the matches that you had to really kind of recall stuff to remember it. 
in this, it was like you would have to be an insane person not to remember every callback, right? It was like so pronounced and in your face. Do you remember when they did this two years ago? Do you remember when they did that? I mean, that's fine, but it's not – it doesn't immediately make it more complex that you remember the matches you had a couple of years ago because the, the, we're talking about all these problems with the match. But am I the only one that thinks the story is just broke? It's just inherently destroyed the story because unless I've missed something, it doesn't seem that the story is – Champer appreciates he did wrong, but Johnny still wants revenge. It's like we're now supposed to believe Champer was always in the right or something. I don't understand this. I don't get it. <clears throat> um, but uh, here we are, 40 minutes later, and they're still very emotional about it. I guess that's the blow-off. Is it or not? I don't know. I mean, they said it was one final time, one last ride, so I would assume that the, this is the blow-off. It's not going to happen. I don't know what happens with... Champa after this, it looks like Gargano's going to feud with uh, Cross and Scarlet Bordeaux with uh, Candice mm. LeRae. So we we will see on that. You're right. Like the story got muddled a lot throughout this. Had it ended at last year's Mania, perfect ending. Obviously, it couldn't because of Champa's injury. But then you had the the Gargano stuff. Champa returns. They team. They hate each other again. Who's the heel? Who's the baby face? It got very muddy after all of this. And look, circumstances, I understand, played a big role. Um, who knows what the story would have been if they actually just could have filmed normally, gone to take over. Maybe the story would have been the same. Maybe it could have been explained a lot better. They did that whole... Remember they dedicated an episode of NXT, like an hour and 15 minutes, to like giving you the whole Gargano Ciampa story and by the end like it was really good and well produced and stuff but by the end of it you're like man this it's just a lot and it's all over the place too yeah and that's the thing i don't look there may be a better understanding of it than i have but as someone that isn't following xt super closely it's very muddled to me and i don't really understand which way i'm supposed to view it johnny is definitely the heel though like yeah it's very I... clear that he was the heel to me in this match and obviously the finish obviously the heel right yeah I put out there after the match I was like well heel Gargano and Candice against Babyface Cross and and Scarlet that's certainly a choice if that's the way you want to go with that like it seems like neither of them are in the correct role in in that uh, in that that little pairing but and people were like oh well is Gargano the heel I was like he seems to be the heel to me like I don't know how else you could interpret it. Like NXT likes to do that shades of gray stuff, but like, not everyone can be gray. No, they can't. But I mean, are we supposed to assume that was a plan? Candice coming back. Cause he had a cup. So I assume it was a plan. Yeah, it was a plan. What a plan it was. I mean, I understand that wrestling swerves. If you analyze any of them, even ones we love are bad and make no sense. But like when you do a story like this, having them fight for 40 minutes across the whole building and then she comes in at, at that point. <laughs> I mean, it is a little bit of a stretch on the kind of believability of it. And again, is it harsh to be thinking that way? Yes. That's what happens when you produce it like it's a TV masterpiece. That's what happens. I start thinking about it that way, like it's Shakespeare. It's not, it was bad wrestling to me as someone that loved the original part of this feud. My only question, I guess, is was it better or worse than Edge and Autumn? Um, it was longer than Edge Norton, and that's, you know what they should have done? Candace should have kicked them both in the nuts and stood tall, and they should just put the title on Candace. 
I mean, it's, yeah, there's the worst ideas like Killer Cross <laughs> the baby face with. Yeah, I mean, I think the finish to Edge and Orton was much better than the finish to this, which is amazing because neither of them are for me in any way. <laughs> but I don't know. I these guys did some crazy stuff too. And for they me, did the really not... the air raid crash from the top oh. of the ring to the foot. You don't need to see that spot works with a crowd going crazy and like this this huge pop and everything and you just kind of like the when Gargant or Champa hit it on Cole at, at War Games and we got the the famous Britt Baker shot. Um, yes. Like it works with the crowd going crazy and you have like the the hushed tones of the crowd or something. Just in an empty arena, it just looks dangerous and it looks like it sucks. And all I could think was. That was stupid. Like, why'd you do that? Yeah, and what I will say for Edge and Orton, I can't believe I'm saying positive stuff about Edge Orton now just because <laughs> of what I've seen since. But That's because you heard Bret Hart like the match, and you're like, true. oh, I gotta like this now. It was like a real fight. <laughs> um, there was at least a feeling of they can't kind of, they just keep throwing each other, they keep throwing each other into things, and that was what it was. This had so much in-between talk. Like, not selling. Selling is one thing, and awkward enough with no other noise. But this had guys just doing full monologues to each other in between spots. And it kept, I understand someone thought it was heavy and interesting. I hated it, because with, with the presentation, it came across so phony and over the top. This is the blow-off is an incredible choice, which I assume it is. As you say, they said it was. So, yeah, I, it was always a weird decision to me. I never understood it. And the execution, regardless of the empty arena and stuff, I didn't like really any of it. And the match was just, everything I disliked about it turned up to 10, basically. This match was, for, for people who have seen the wrestling episode of South Park, that's what this was. It's just, it's a lot of talking, it's a couple of moves, and then it's just more talking and more talking and more talking. If you've never seen this episode, Joe, you got to watch it. Vince McMahon makes a cameo as a South Park character. Never been a South Park guy. Oh, Ever. my God. Well, oh, no. watch this one episode then. <laughs> okay. We're going to review this at some point. Next week we'll do a full review. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, me. I've seen every South Park episode. I'll watch this wow. episode again. That, God, look, I love South Park. World for me. I hope I don't fall too deep into this. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone watch the episode. I don't recall the episode name off the top of my head. I think it's literally just like... WWF fighting or something. I don't know. But watch the episode. Joe, watch it. Yeah, we'll review the episode next week or for our weekend episode or something. We'll figure it out. But okay. we'll make it a podcast bit so you're not just watching it just to watch it like you did with the Big Show show. What a show. Really <laughs> an in-depth uh, documentation of the industry and the pros and cons of the industry. I'm not going to spoil anything. But you come away with some lessons learned, Jeremy. I'm being honest here. There's a lot of stuff about head trauma and concussions. You didn't expect to see that, did you? You didn't see it coming. And it's in there, folks. It's layered. I'm going to watch this show, mainly because I feel bad that you watched it, and now I feel like I have to do it so we can just talk about it on the podcast. It's harmless fun. It's like every kid's sitcom ever. Yeah, just- like that. that's what I figured is, look, I watched the entire series. I don't know if it's over yet, but like Fuller House. I loved Full House as a kid. 
But like Fuller House is like, all right, as a 30 year old, why is this show going to appeal to me? It's like, yeah, it's just something to throw on. Then it's you get a couple of laughs out of it, maybe. And it's yeah, it's fairly harmless. And yeah. I'm sure young me staying up till 11 o'clock at night would like love something like this. Obviously, older me doesn't care about it as much, but I have no issue with shows like that. So I will watch the big show show over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I want to make it clear. I did sweep the news that I had uh, watched the show. Um, with the image of Jim Ross pouring <laughs> blood from some type of angle that he did in WWF, I was not using that as a review of the program, more the fact that I had actually sat and watched the show. The program is exactly what I expected it to be, and it's fine. It's fun, simple, easy to sit through uh, nonsense. But I am a little bit concerned about myself that I hit a point where I actually just sat and watched, basically watched the whole series in a day. So, yes, <laughs> please do watch it so we can discuss it and make this somewhat worth my time. <laughs> That's how I took it uh, with the Jim Ross photo, is that was your reaction to you sitting through this thing, not your reaction to the actual show. Good. Let's move on to uh, John Cena was on WWE After the Bell last week. And he made some comments that essentially boiled down to WWE, they don't have one star that you go see. He, he named eight, nine people. He's like, you go see Sheamus, you go see Roman, you go see New Day. You're not like... Oh, Roman's on this show. I got to go see this show just because Roman's on it. And then they talked about eras and he said, you know, Hogan led the rock and wrestling area. Austin rock led the, the attitude area. I, I led the, the ruthless aggression era, the PG era, the super Cena era. Like eras are essentially defined by who's on top. Right. Mm. And because no one's really on top right now, people don't know what to make of this era and Cena basically said, and I don't know if WWE can like produce that top front man to give this era a definition. What do you think of Joe's com- or what do you think of Joe's comments, Joe? What do you think of John's comments, Joe? <laughs> um, it's hard to disagree with them. The question becomes, who are you pointing the finger at, right? Because I'm not going to sit and look. I think the current roster is wonderful and stacked with talent. Probably the most like depth heavy roster they've ever had however i'm not going to pretend there's 25 crossover stars waiting to be kind of pushed to the moon kind of deal i'm not doing that i understand it's hard it's very hard to find a guy that can be the face of the company it does make me kind of look at who could be that guy i think roman could have been that guy in a other in a totally different universe in which they didn't do any of the stuff they did <laughs> so and, I, and it sounds like i'm exaggerating but legitimately that was like five years ago now. So while Roman is an undeniable top guy and a, a piece to build around, I don't think he's ever going to be what he once appeared he could be, if that makes sense, like a, a genuine star that normal people know of. Um, and then when you get past him, it's like, is Becky Lynch the best shot at it? I have no clue. I honestly don't. But it would be pretty neat after, you know, I said the other day about how this era, to me, the women clearly are the are the, uh, the headlines of, because on the men's side, there's been a whole lot of repetitive stuff going on. So maybe it's Becky. I don't know. It's hard to disagree with what he said, though, definitely. I'm with you that this is kind of the women's era, because yeah. Becky's up there, Charlotte's up there. And I mean, those two, I think those two are stronger than Roman's at the top. But who's below Roman? Seth? true right now like the, yeah. these these guys aren't like obviously they want to push brock and they want to push uh goldberg and whatever but 
these guys aren't full-time guys. These, these are not the guys you're coming, like they're special attractions. These aren't the, the full-time guys who you're paying to see daily, monthly, weekly, things like that. Um, but I think Becky and Charlotte are a stronger one too than Roman and whoever else they have cool. there. So I, I think this is kind of the woman, the women's era. And, and I'm with you that I don't know who you blame. I mean, I think Vince is ultimately to blame. Like it's, it's his company. Mm. Put your faith in somebody. Yeah. They missed the boat on Roman. They could have made him the guy they thought by just having him headline four straight WrestleManias. They're like, well, this is our, this is our top guy. It's like, did you see any of those matches? Did you see how you booked any of these matches and the build up to these matches? None of it, none of it worked. But I think this is by design at this point. Like the com- they want the company to be bigger yeah. than, than one star. Yeah, and I think it's difficult to speak. So I mean, I feel like it's been that way for a while. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I think Lesnar was a big part of that, which is ironic because now he's the status quo, ironically, right? He's the guy that they never take the belt off of and like they have to go back to Brock. Uh, but him leaving up when he did, I think, definitely changed something there. Because, I mean, even – I don't want to whine about the Rhea Ripley-Charlotte deal because it's not that big a deal. But even that was another example of like, – they're very hesitant to just go with someone new, right? They are. They kind of – they like the status quo and they'll kind of, they'll take their time with it. They'll be careful with it. Um, I've thought for a long time – I mean, we'll just go full panda in here and, and make sure we blow up on Twitter, Jeremy, because I, I genuinely think there's more crossover stars in the women's division. Like, beyond those two even, like, I just think there's more there. The characters – I hate the word character in wrestling because it's become kind of an over-discussed matter, but they're, they're more, their presentations are more kind of filled out for me. I can't tell you a ton about a lot of the guys. I honestly can't. Like, <laughs> we talk about Bianca Blair and we've spoken about Rhea Ripley. Like, they're both, to me, blue chip, like the best of prospects in WWE. I don't think there's any male I would have as high on my draft board that's like brand new to the main roster, that whole scene, as I have those two, if that makes sense. And then you look at the girls that are already there, the women that are already there. I I don't think it's just Charlotte and Becky. I think that's just the way it is this era for whatever reason. Yeah, it's – when it comes to – I was trying to actually think of a potential male competitor who was like, eh, who would I take? I could build around this person. He's still young over somebody like Bianca and Rhea. Mm-hmm. And there really wasn't a name that like <laughs> jumped out to me. And I, I tried to, I, I legitimately tried to think about this for this split second. And like the fact that nobody jumped, I'm sure if I thought about it, so, somebody would come to mind. The fact that nobody jumps out probably says everything it needs to say. And, you know, people might say, oh, like Adam Cole, Matt Riddle, Velveteen Dream. Uh, Velveteen Dream will probably be the closest. Yeah. But even, even him. I I just don't know. Like even his NXT act is kind of where's he at right now? And, and this is through no fault of his own. It looked like he was going to be set up for this big takeover match against Adam Cole, and then everything happened. And you know who knows what would have happened if we actually got that. I've always looked at Dream. You know, is one benefit of the females is that because they're the first era of women in WWE that are treated as like actual main event acts, genuine main event acts. The benefit of that is we aren't always comparing them back. And that's one of my biggest issues. I'm always doing this, Jeremy. I'm yeah. always looking, who is this guy? And I always think the Velveteen Dream, I always see so much gold dust talk. And the, I think you're better to shoot for him being like a Randy Savage more than a gold dust because he can be flamboyant 
over the top, but you still want to present him as an actual main event star. NXT, I think, has done that well. My concern would be <laughs> when he gets up to Raw or SmackDown, are we going to get a Goldust deal, right? Which is more about the gimmick and that I think would quickly cap him. But I agree with you. He's a good option. There's some, there's some dark horses. I mean, to me, this is one that will never happen because I think he's very, very happy with his spot. I think Big E has, has actual crossover potential. I really believe that. I have for the longest time. At this point, it's hard to see that coming to fruition, but he's one guy that I look at and say, okay, maybe there's something there as an actual top guy. I think they've actually missed the boat with all of New Day. And, yeah. and that seems weird to say because New Day is positioned as one of the, the top tag teams of the last decade. <laughs> Kofi did have, have the title run last year. But as far as, like, crossover appeal, like, Kofi showed he had it when he did win the title, and then they, they just booked him poorly, and he didn't have great matches. Big E has, like, always shown that. Xavier, what Xavier has done it, with, like, mm-hmm. gaming and up, up, down, down and stuff, like, that's, it's not it's not bigger than WWE, obviously. That's, like, just a totally new avenue for him that nobody else has, has really explored, especially to the level that he had. Like, he's actually really big in the gaming yeah. community and stuff. And they don't they don't use that nearly enough. Like, you would think they would have some more ads on uh, their, their, their shows for Up, Up, Down, Down. You would think they would try to get him out there, get him in more, like, video game type of stuff. And you don't hear anything about it. I only know about it because... I follow Xavier and he pushes it really hard. WWE doesn't really push that stuff at all. Oh, I 100% agree with you on them not pushing the other side of him. What I will say, I think there's probably people watching this are saying, how can we complain about New Day? They've been champs 25 times, whatever. The, I mean, you know what I'm saying? But I think just to, to kind of um, amplify what you're saying, they are positioned as the greatest tag team of their era. Them and the Usos, they've always framed them that way. That isn't what we're talking about not just in what you're saying about promotion, but there's no reason that at their absolute peak, they couldn't have been a full main event tag team. Right. Now, what I mean by that isn't they've got the tag belts and have 12-minute matches on pay-per-views. I mean, Usos and New Day were having a program when Jinder Mahal was the world champ. They could have been main event in them pay-per-views, right? <laughs> because they had a far more crossover appeal. And this is where just, I've mentioned it every week, and I, I probably bore everyone, but... This is where they love New Day. They totally get they're awesome, but they just see tag team wrestling as its own thing. So unless you become a singles, you're pigeonholed, if that makes sense. New Day could be main event in pay-per-views as a tag team. right? Like there's, There was a time where that was a thing. It's never really been a WWE thing, and I think that's where them always being together will cap them in its own way. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think all of them, obviously Kofi won, is, we've already seen why that could have been better, and that was... A whole other topic for another day. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think Woods doesn't get enough credit for a lot of things he's good at. I think he's actually an incredibly good worker as well, and no one talks about that, right? No one even mentions it with Woods, but he's right. actually very, very good. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think there's – in a different universe, perhaps, you would see them as an actual main event act that closes pay-per-views and stuff. Yeah, and that, that's the thing. They they weren't – like the Hell in a Cell match against – uh, the Usos is one of my favorite Hell in a Cell matches in, in yep. recent memory because it actually felt one, the stipulation actually fitted. It wasn't just, hey, it's our monthly Hell in a Cell pay per view. We got to put these guys in a Hell in a Cell. Like the stipulation actually worked. There was uh, a sense of violence and urgency that you don't see in the, the Hell in a Cell matches nowadays because it is just 
we're doing a Hell in a Cell match because it's October, yeah. so we have to do it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that feud could have been main eventing, but you never, even though New Day was popular merchandise sellers, everyone loved them, the crowd, they always got a big reaction, they were always very entertaining, and they never felt like, as a group, a main event act. And, you know, like the yeah. Four Horsemen, Ric Flair was obviously the main event guy. As a group, they felt like a main event act, though. Yeah, it's just uh, a nature of the beast kind of deal. Because, I mean, if you look at WrestleMania, uh, their absolute top height as far as T-shirt sales and stuff, they did a handicap match with League of Nations, which they lost. <laughs> and that's not me kind of, you know, just picking out one example. It does tell you something, right? Roman Reigns was never going to be losing in a mid-card match and then getting beaten up by legends. It wasn't happening because he was a top guy. The next year they hosted WrestleMania. The other times they've been in multi-tag matches. All of that's fine. We're just saying that perhaps they were such a great team with such like an incredible crossover appeal. They could have been more than that is basically our point, right? Maybe they could have actually changed how the whole division was viewed, especially when in the same division they had the absolute perfect dance partners, the ultimate foes. It's one of them deals where you have one of the great feuds I've seen in WWE. One of my favorite WWE feuds ever. I'm happy to say that. And I'm still left kind of wondering what happens if it's presented more as a absolute headline act. We'll never know, obviously, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I think there's there was always more to do with them before. There probably still is too, to be honest. So that's what Cena had to say. Oh and yeah, Cena, yeah. Yeah, John Cena. <laughs> that's what he had to say about the topic. And I don't think Joe and I really disagree with his comments. I mean... I don't know if Cena is doing this, what his motivations are. I remember when Drew used to do this all the time. He would be like, oh, the locker room is, is scared of their own shadows. Like, we need guys to step up and stuff. And it was like a clear directive. Maybe you don't remember this, but he did a lot of interviews about this stuff. And I remember covering them. And it was just the same stuff over about, like, stepping up in the locker room. Like, guys need to step up. And it was like a clear directive from, like, WWE and whatnot to try to get everyone to be hungrier. I don't know if Cena is kind of doing the same thing because his comments were similar and he did, he was like, you know, desperation breeds creativity. Cena legitimately said, you know, there used to be seasonal cuts. And so you were always worried about these cuts and you, you had to do more, do more. So you didn't get cut nowadays. Like guys are asking for their release and they ain't going nowhere. So because of that, they're not as scared about like he, he said, Guys want to be used. Guys want to be in the main event spot, they, but they don't want to be like the absolute best. Is essentially what he said. It's such a tough. I mean, you hear it so much that I'm certainly not going to ignore it or dismiss it. It's just hard to gauge. You know, the Moxley interview was interesting in that regard, and there's so many different um, perceptions and kind of reporting on what actually is like, how much freedom you have. Right? Some people say. If I give you a script, Jeremy, for Raw, and you change it into your own words, that's fine. Other people say that's the right of fire. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. I can't. What I will say is I think this is one of the most unique rosters ever in the sense that about 100 men deep, if you include NXT, you have guys that you can send out and have good matches. Apollo Crews was capable of having a 20 to 30 minute match on Raw. Okay, that's insane. He is nothing on TV. That's not a knock on him. I'm just pointing out that They've never had a roster so deep as far as in-ring ability. I'm not going to pretend there's a bunch of guys I look at and go, top guy, top guy. I think all, I think there's about 20 to 25 guys that all could be very, very useful in the main event picture. The center of that puzzle 
I don't know yet. I don't think it's true. Um, perhaps it was Strowman a couple of years back. I don't think so. Strowman would have been hard to handle as a face of the company guy. It's very difficult. I totally agree with Cena because he's right, right? Like there's very few people that one person you're going to the show for, you buy tickets for WWE, whoever turns up on that circus turns up, right? That's the way it is. So yeah, it's an interesting thing. I think a lot of people agree this roster's great, but I do think it's worth looking at. Okay, who can be the guy that actually picks up the kind of the crossover mantle and allows everyone else to shine it under that light, if that makes sense. So it'll be interesting to follow. I don't think it's going to happen because, as we said, I don't think they really care for that. They want to be the brand first, and there's probably a good business kind of logic to that decision, actually. Uh, maybe. I mean, you look at the viewership and ticket sales and all this stuff, yeah. and it's like it, maybe it would be better if, all right, we're going to go see this guy. We're going to pay to see this guy. Like, you know, they try to bring back Brock and they advertise Brock for these shows and he doesn't do anything for the numbers. Like, say, same with Goldberg. Like, none of these guys pop any kind of – like, Cena does it because he's not there all the time. Rock did it, obviously, because he's the Rock. Even Austin has like lost that appeal of because because they bring him back so often now where it's like all right yeah. Austin's there whatever like it's cool but I don't have the desire to to see him and the the guys who are actually there the the main roster guys like none of them are popping anything it's like okay if Roman's gonna wrestle on this show it must be Friday like you, there's nothing to it the problem is I'm with you 100 but. How do I actually get out of that now? <laughs> because I like Brock isn't a factor anymore as far as business, as you just pointed out. Like, he's just part of it now, okay? So say Drew beat Brock four times in a row. Does that then make him a star? Like, how do you actually go about doing it at this point? Because it's been so long. I mean, Cena is now gone. You, everyone has to just accept that Cena is not a thing in WWE anymore. It's pretty clear after the last few things he's done that he's happy with that, right? He's ready to go. So it just becomes, I don't know, how do you go about doing that? I think Roman, there was a real window there. I think that's been missed. I just wonder how you break out of, we have 40 really great upper mid-card guys and we're going to interchange them at the top to, okay, here are three, four guys that we are like, these are our guys, everyone should know they are. I have no clue how to go about doing it, but I think you're right. There's, there's an argument to both sides, obviously. Definitely there is right now. I think you have to just limit how often these guys are wrestling and, and make matches actually feel. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand, and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
important. Like you look at the Rollins and Owens stuff, and like their match at WrestleMania was good. It had it had maybe the most memorable moment as far as performance center moments go. And it felt like the hundredth time they've wrestled each other because they're in these multi-man tag team matches every single week. And like everyone sees this stuff. It's not like the New Japan Road 2 shows where you get all yeah. these multi-man matches. Like no one's really watching that stuff. Those, those, those shows draw a couple thousand people, if that. And then maybe you watch it on New Japan World. But for the most part, people aren't really checking that stuff out so when you do get okada tanahashi and they do wrestle it feels like a big deal we're gonna dive more into like the wwe <laughs> roster i feel like we've already spent too much time yeah. on this but we had them into topics we're gonna dive more into this in the coming weeks because we are gonna do our kind of real sports breakdown of the roster and draft rosters with salary caps and uh trades and stipian rules and uh, expiring contracts and player options and, and all this fun stuff. Trade deadlines. Like we, we're going to map everything out and uh, present to present WWE real sports here in the, the coming weeks. But that's uh, for a different show. Let's, uh, let's move on to some AEW stuff. Brody Lee, he's just Vince McMahon at this point. And Cody has come out and said, yeah, there's parallels. Uh, you know, there, there's similarities, but it's not an outright spoof. That, that was Cody's... Words essentially said so it's not an outright spoof, but he admitted there's parallels and there's similarities. So, this is Brody Lee now, Joseph. He's Vince McMahon, sort of. This is a bummer, man. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> I hate it. I get nothing out of it at all. I remember, God, it feels like years ago, Jeremy. You said to me, How did you feel about the one Vince McMahon line in his debut? And I was like, oh, That's cool. I, have not, I feel nothing about it. <laughs> Little did I know that this would be my main talking point just a month later. I just don't get it. I don't get who it's for. There's a lot of people that are saying that if you to the normal casual viewer, it just paints a picture of his character and like the Vince stuff only works for us. And I just I don't think it gets him over at all as a heel to the casual viewer. I just think it's just bad segments. Bad skits. They're not even segments, they're just skits. And it's so misplaced on Brody, who looks like a wild man. I know he wants to kinda have a better character and talk more because he's very capable of talking. I just think sometimes you are what you are in a certain way. And he looks the way he does. I don't want to see him in a suit. I don't want to see him eating steaks. I just want to see him larrying people, right? And being a wild man. That's what I would like, personally. This was a case of, to me, take Luke Harper, change his name, drop him into AEW and let him have fun and awesome matches. And instead, it's becoming this whole other, like, character piece. And it's just doing nothing for me at all. I've got to admit, it's a total miss for me. I mean, Cody admitted in the interview on Busted Open Radio that he didn't know what the original plan was for Dark Order and the Exalted One. He he wasn't sure what it was. He didn't know where it was going. And then he started talking about the Brody Lee stuff. I don't think they ever had a pl- like an actual mapped out plan for Dark Order. And I think that's fairly obvious just by all the direction changes they've done since they since the the group debuted um i asked people on my timeline like if you didn't know and maybe it's it's hard for people to set that aside uh but you know we did a bit with um with my my wife a few weeks ago who watched the show didn't know this vince mcmahon stuff and she just thought it was just like terribly acted segment and (laughs) like it did nothing for she thought bobby Roode would have been better in the role um but but i asked people like if you didn't know that, that this was vince mcmahon stuff is this working for you? 
A couple people said yes. The majority said no. And the consensus was kind of my, uh, my thoughts as well is that Dark Order was presented as this cult type gimmick. And then now it's just, it's just this guy in a suit holding PowerPoint presentations and, and eating steak in dark rooms and stuff. It's like, this is not a cult at all. This is just a, a power hungry board, you know, chairman. Like that, that's what this is. This, this has nothing to do with, Hey, join dark order. We'll turn your life around and we're beating people up in uh, the woods and, and all this stuff. Like it, it has nothing to do with that. Well, firstly, you're very disrespectful because the chairman is Sean Spears and Sean Spears <laughs> only, okay? But I'm with you. The other thing as well is is he's being mean to guys that either A, we don't care about, or B, we actually don't know who they are because they're just yeah. men under masks. So there is no heat in it. Like, these are men that have, like, fully opted to be members of the Dark Holder. I could not care less about these people. I don't, I don't care about what Brody puts them through at this point. I don't know what the idea is. I have no clue, Jim. I have, I have no idea what they're doing here. I don't know what, who it is for. It feels like it's to a small group of fans. It's probably made Brody cooler, I guess, maybe. To everyone else, it's just taking the shine off him. I mean, I Brody, for everyone else, but for me, it's taking the shine off him massively. Brody had some really good ideas on that Jericho podcast that he he pitched to to Vince, and you know, Vince just saw him as one way. But one of them was just like. Essentially, what you were saying, like a wild man, but like a smart and calculated kind of kind of wild man, and like something like that is fine. Like a he, like a calculated killer is cool, but I guess they're kind of doing that with Lance Archer, and you don't want to do that too much because Lance has Jake by his side, and he's more kind of mapped out with uh, how he's going to murder people. Where if you tried to do that with Brody, it might be a little too similar. This yeah. is just. I there it's just a big disconnect for me and I don't even care like when he was on television last night the segment was on I I just turned down the segment and I was like I I don't care about this he's just gonna yell at these dudes who I don't know and and it's just why you're right about these guys are named eight and nine we know John Silver Alex Reynolds sort of we just know they're we know their names. We know they're just yeah. kind of guys. We know Uno and Grayson, but even they're not really appearing that much right now. It's just like you're you're just yelling at guys who we know nothing about. Do you think? And this is saying I know you can't answer. I'm just I'm just trying to figure it out in my head. Do you think he's hesitant with the name already being with? And I'm I, I'm I'm aware of the fact that the name is actually like a Mall Rats reference and not a full Bro, Bruiser Brody deal, but. Is he hesitant to just be full Brody Wildman, like running into the crowd and being an insane person? Because he seems to be like against that. He wants to be someone who's more kind of intelligent. And I get it because he's well-spoken. But at some point, looking the way he does, I would legitimately rather him just go running into the crowd and beat up Cody Rhodes <laughs> than doing this, if that makes sense. So I don't know. I think he comes off, especially after listening to the Jericho interview, and then – and I didn't get this impression from the Jericho interview, by the way, um, but – when you see this gimmick, it just comes off a little bit bitter and a little bit Mm. sad to where it's like WWE didn't use me in the right way. Vince McMahon didn't listen to my ideas. So now I'm just going to go to AEW and do essentially this spoof on him. That's not a real spoof like that. That's the way it comes across. And it shouldn't because I didn't get that impression from the interview. I got the impression that like he went there, he tried to do his best it didn't quite work out. 
fine. You, you move on, you're, you're happier in AEW. But now with this, it, I look at it in a different light. And I don't want to do that because I don't think I don't think that's the intention, but that's just what's happening. Yeah, I mean, you know me. I'm never, ever the guy to be like, if someone tweets something disgruntled, I'm never the guy to turn on them and be like, oh, look how bitter this guy is. But it would be pretty kind of sheltered of me to be like, he doesn't come across bitter here. I'm not saying he is because I agree with you. I listen to Jericho podcast. I didn't get that take at all. So then that's just who is the guy kind of directing this. You assume it's Brody. It just isn't a good look. And what it does is it encourages those people that kind of look at everything as cast-offs, right? Oh, he's just another better WWE guy. He shouldn't be that. He's a better talent than that. And there should be a better, after a month of TV, there should be a better kind of discussion around his name than the one we're having right now of, is he just kind of, like, why is he being viewed as the better WWE guy? He should not even, that should be long gone in his past. But here we are. It's not our choice, right? We can only discuss what they show us. That's what it's been so far. Uh, elsewhere on AEW, they are doing a TNT title tournament. We've not talked about this tournament. So they're introducing a mid-card title, um, doing an eight-man tournament for it. And they're going to have the finals at w, at WWE, at AEW Double or Nothing, assuming the show takes place. It's supposed to take place in Vegas. Vegas has shut everything down. I don't know what's going to happen. They might be holding it at an empty Indian reservation like a UFC is trying to do. Uh, we got Cody advanced over Sean Spears last night. We have Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, Lance Archer, Colt Cabana, Dustin Rhodes, and Brody. Is Dustin facing Brody? Kip Sabian. Kip Sabian. Sorry, Kip. Um, Dustin Rhodes and Kemp Sabian. So, so those are the the entrants into the tournament here. Joe, what do you make of the the mid card title, and who would you strap up? Um, <laughs> I, I'm fine. With it. I like mid card titles. I don't ever allowed to call it a mid card title. Jeremy's a check with the legal team. <laughs> um, I believe it's just a different type of championship. But the only interest for me really is Cody, and I hope they're not going to do Archer and Cody in the tournament. I thought like that's a misstep. Right, save that. So then it becomes, okay, so who's eliminating Cody here? And then I kind of ponder, okay, so what are they going to do with Darby and Sammy? Because that's obviously the only two guys that could do it before he gets to Archer. Assuming Archer gets there, that would be my guess. So I don't know. I would actually really like them to – we've always spoken about Sammy losing a lot. I would really like them to use this belt to kind of change that that whole deal. I would – him beating Darby – he doesn't have to win clean, obviously, but him finding a way to beat Darby and then Cody – and then, so I don't know how we'd, I guess the final would be against Archer, so that's a little bit tougher. But that would be nice. I think it would be Derby, though. I actually think he'll end up beating Archer in the final via some form of Cody like interference or something. I, I would like them to put the title on Guevara as well. That would have been my suggestion. But you're right that if he makes it to the finals, he's probably not facing Archer because yeah. you're, you're just not going with that. And then if he's not facing Archer, who else is coming out of that side? Like, you're going to do Sammy and Dustin? Again, like, I, um, that's no. not yeah, not a whole lot there. And Sammy and Cole Cabana, uh, that just doesn't seem like a big match. It, I feel like it's got to be Cody or Darby against yeah. Archer. I don't know if Darby needs the title. And I, I think that they like him as sort of like this, this underdog kind of role right now. And I think Archer is just going to kind of run through guys and I think Archer is going to win the title and then maybe you start telling that kind of Darby redemption because at some point Darby is going to get the title it's going to be a thing of he's undersized he loses but he puts up a really good fight he just takes a beating 
And when he gets that title, it's going to be that Jeff Hardy moment of, oh man, they finally put the title on this guy. And whether it's the TNT title or the world title, it's just going to be this this really big moment. And I don't think they're going to do that quite yet, especially in an empty arena. Like that's the other thing is I don't know how their booking is going to change with this. You want that Darby moment in front of everybody. You don't want doing that. We saw how flat some of this stuff was at WrestleMania. Like you don't want to do this stuff. If you're AEW change course, put the title on Archer, let them have it. You want that big moment for Darby in front of thousands. I'm still trying to, kind of figure out where Archer fits into the whole AEW picture. Not because of anything he's done wrong, but he's uh, the idea to me is that he's in the tournament purely because he knows it's his like, easiest route to get Cody in the ring with him. Kind of deal. That's Jake's kind of like storytelling logic with it, which works definitely. And if he has the title, you can go somewhere with that. I just never – guys like him, I never vision them as the mid-card champ guy. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. Like, and that's why I think we both went to Sammy because he's like the traditional – mid-card heel champ he's a mid-carder right now hopefully he'll be more than that eventually but archer's such a big guy one thing with archer is i mean even though he's a big guy you're not going to miss out on the kind of good match element for the belt i mean he can have some awesome matches so yeah it works and it probably is the logical choice and i guess then the question becomes i mean i agree with you darby is under the work so do you have darby losing the final to archer and then figure out the cody deal later or do you just do cody and archer in the final see i don't think archer needs the belt either And that's the thing, especially when he's got Jake there being his mouthpiece and everything. I think that it works because I I think this is why you do Archer and Darby and you have Archer win because then Jake can essentially like taunt Cody with it. Mm. Uh, You know, you can't challenge for the world title. This is the only belt you can come after. You couldn't beat Darby. We killed Darby, you know, and then he basically just taunts him with it. Cody builds up, get, eventually gets that shot. You go from there, you build it, you do it. With AEW, it's weird because they they really do thrive, especially these big shows. They thrive on crowd reactions. Like, the, yeah. these shows... I'm not saying these shows are bad, like if they didn't have a crowd, but but look at look at TakeOver. Essentially what WWE gave us with TakeOver were Gargano Champa, the women's ladder match, and, and the triple threat NXT North American title match. If you put those three matches together and said, here's TakeOver, this is the worst TakeOver ever. This TakeOver sucked because none of those matches were like great. There was two good matches and then Gargano Ciampa, which which happened. Um, you put those matches obviously in front of a live crowd and you put it with the TakeOver branding. Everyone's calling it the greatest TakeOver of all time, I'm sure. With AEW, yeah. it's a similar thing where you got to have a live crowd for a lot of these matches. 100%. Um, the, kind, the more I think about this, and I, I don't want to go back too far, but are you kind of with me that, and I saw people suggest this at the time, looking at the way the roster is balancing out when you have Hager chasing Moxley. Now, I totally understand that's not a long-term program. I get it. I'm not a fool. I get this is not like some kind of Jake Hager project. It's just a deal to get a match on TV. But to me, when you have Hager as a top heel for now and you have Archer with Jake, would it not have been better to switch Brody and Matt in so as far as their entries. Would it not have been better to have Matt as the dark older guy and have Brody as the baby face wild man? So then you have a contrast with Archer. Because I'm with you now that I think about what Archer is. Hob, uh, Brody as the wild man doesn't really work because that's what Archer is. He's like the wild guy Jim from Japan that's come back to America, right? That's the deal. Would it have been better then to have Brody as one of the war games guys? Like, I don't know. I have no clue. 
But I'm just thinking about it, and Archer actually seems in a much better position, even though I don't know where he fits in. He seems in a much better position than, than Brody, and I think it's because, as you pointed out, there's kind of a little bit of a clash there as to what they could be. I think they just see Matt on a different level than Brody. Oh, and that's, I, that's a bummer. <laughs> it really is. And I, I think that's honestly what it comes down to is they weren't going to sign Matt Hardy and then put him in this Dark Order gimmick. They they wanted Matt to, to feud with Jericho to, to be, you know, he's got the ties with the, the Young Bucks and everything. So they, they wanted him as, as part of that. And they weren't just going to, all right, you know, lead the Dark Order, lead, you know, have a bunch of minions and we'll figure out what to do. I don't know if Matt would have signed up for that. Maybe he would have because it, it still would have allowed him more creativity and to, to be on TV. But I don't know if Matt would have been like, yeah, I'm cool with just doing this Dark Order gimmick that doesn't really have a direction right now. And I don't know who we're going to end up feuding with. Like, I think Matt wanted to go there and actually work with top people. Yeah, this is where there's a disconnect for me because I think everything you just said is correct, but I would struggle to... I just don't think Matt needs to be in that spot anymore. And that's not a, a knock on him and what he was. I just think at this point, I don't. I mean, people like him and are happy to see him on TV, but man, I, I personally really don't need him in a War Games match or as a top baby face. So I just don't want that. So perhaps there's a disconnect between me and the, the general audience, but... I feel like he was miscast in a very serious blood and guts feud. And I know it sounds silly saying very serious because Jericho does a lot of like nonsense himself, but he's Jericho and that's kind of his thing. Matt Hardy's a whole gimmick now, right? There's a whole different thing you've put into it. So, yeah, I, I get you and I think you're probably right. I'm not sure what it suggests, though, on the, in the grand scheme of things. I'm not sure it's a good thing. I'll put it that way. I think Matt was in that role because uh, I, I think it was Nick – Nick's wife was pregnant and so he yeah. was going to if things had stayed the course he was going to miss the show and they're like well we got Matt Hardy big surprise over somebody like like Brody Lee Matt Hardy is just a bigger name that you can throw mm-hmm. in there than Brody Lee I think it was a miscast as well like if you're going to do this blood and guts match it's got to be actual inner circle versus actual elite like I don't need yeah. Matt Hardy just kind of thrown in there for no real reason like I, I want the actual elite in there I think that actually this work to their benefit because now we can get that match without Matt Hardy and they might still do Matt Hardy in some aspect, but that, that's what I think it is. But with Hardy and Brody Lee and why they're in those roles. Yeah, I think you're right. I, you know, it's just going to be interesting to me how they phase. I mean, Matt obviously is coming in on top and he's doing a thing with Jericho right away. It looks like they're going to do something individually in this weird empty arena time. So it's just going to be interesting to me how they eventually get him to a position that's more sustainable because I don't think this is one. I mean, they have their pay per views are cons- like consistently good. I don't know if you want. Yeah, I with the the Matt Hardy stuff, you know, they're going to do the elite deletion, and I don't know how he's going to translate to their actual pay per views in front of the audience because he's not like a great worker anymore he, he's really thrived off of the the cinematic stuff and you know in front of an audience if you try to go too long with him and don't protect him enough i don't know how well it's going to work yeah so that's why i mean even though we think he's miscast i guess in that case the war games would have been fine for him he would have come in and done the hot take deal and that'd be it but that would be interesting for to follow like where he ends up on the card and where he stays because on top i don't think he's 
I don't even have to feasible for anyone, to be honest. Our last topic, the dark side of the ring. This week's episode focused on the Brawl for All. The actual documentary, I didn't think it revealed anything new. Like, it was yeah. cool to hear from Bart Gunn and uh, Draws and Godfather and, and, you know, some behind-the-scenes stuff with uh, Ross and, and Russo and Cornette. Um, but the the actual – Sean Ross Sapp did a story a few years ago on it that's, that's up on Fightful.com that everyone can check out that kind of – laid out all this stuff already as far as why it happened, the injuries, the the things that went wrong, the things that were supposed to happen. Um, but I just like – and the Russo-Cornette bullshit on the documentary was stupid. But I just like the bra for all just as a fan of stupid things that just go completely awry. Joe, what, what's your take on the bra for all? I mean, I'm with you. It is – a level of stupidity, though, that is a little bit... It does kind of <laughs> extend a little bit past my reach. Because it's just... I mean, I don't want... I'm with you, okay? I don't want to get into the whole Cornet Russo thing and that whole deal that's been going on forever. We don't have to get into that. But I do have to commend Vince Russo for telling his own side of the story and still making himself the villain. <laughs> He's truly incredible. And I don't know if the editing was tough on him, but my goodness, he didn't do himself any favours here, right? He kind of... He kind of um, Sealed his fate a little bit with how he described it. I thought Russo, I mean, Cornette seemed more <laughs> mad about it than than Russo yeah. did. Russo is just like, yeah, I did this to shut up JBL. And like him watching JBL get knocked out and taking some perverse pleasure. <laughs> and it was, the guy still was very clearly happy. Like he accomplished his goal. And I think that's all Russo cared. He, like, he didn't care about anything else. He's like, I booked this tournament to shut JBL up, he got knocked out, I won. Like, that's Russo's take on it. And I kind of admire that he's just, that's how he's going to go about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad someone accomplished something with this whole thing, <laughs> right? I mean, he got something out of it. I just, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I did feel for him in the sense that, like, ending the show with Droz, it was a pretty... Um, straightforward way of being like, hey, guys, like wrestling is actually like, very, very serious, right? And that was kind of, I think, because they went, went back to Cornette and he did, like, the wrap-up on that part. Like, that's why I don't like when people do this thing. And it cuts back to Vince and he's, like, grinning wide at JBL getting knocked out. And he's like, oh, <laughs> it's just tough. I, I mean, the rule for all is you probably like it for the same reasons you've loved bad MMA fights, right? It's just bad <laughs> yeah. fighting. I mean, it must be said, though, um, obviously, Bart Gunn had nothing for Butterbean. Duh. Makes sense. Like, of course you didn't. No, are you kidding me? If he had brawled and he didn't try to turn into a boxer, oh, yeah. he yeah. would have knocked this man out. It must be said. That man, he, he landed some serious knockout punches during the yeah. brawl. Guys were out. Like, I had actually forgotten. I mean, I've watched a lot of these many times, more times than I should have. But I had forgotten just how, how vicious. I remember the JBL one, obviously, but the, the Godfather the one. The Godfather one was nuts. Oh, that was crazy. So, yeah, you know what I did think? I mean, Jim Ross, I look, I love Jim Ross, but I don't know if this painted him in the best way ever. Because the truth is, I totally understand the whole thing about it. No one got over and it. They surely could have done something with poor Bart, right? Yeah. Like, it, that was my takeaway, which is that surely there was a way to slot him in somewhere. I didn't understand the idea that he had to just sit at home. It seemed silly to me. No one got over because they didn't do anything with the yes. one guy who did actually get over or could have gotten over. Like, they, you know, they talked about, oh, 
we were going to have Dr. Death win this, and then he was going to go on to this feud against Austin. Like, Cornette's like, you flushed $5 million down, down the drain with this stuff. Realistically, Dr. Death wins this thing. Austin beats him on some B-level pay-per-view, and then he's just, he's in the mid-card doing whatever. He's like, your, your, your top stars at this time were not going to be Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, Dr. Death, Steve Williams. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was the one thing Bruce I said that I thought was undeniable when he was like, he's prime and gone. Yeah. Because the truth is, this is the great irony of all of it, right? Is that to the general fan that watched in 1998, 1999, whenever it was, Bart Gunn coming out of Brawl for All had the same appeal that Dr. Death would have had coming out of Brawl for All. Yes. Because to them, it would have made no difference. They were just the guy that beat everyone up. If Dr. Death had done the exact same thing, it would have been the same. And it was always going to be at its absolute apex peak. It was going to be a B pay-per-view match with Steve Austin. It was always going to be that. Like, this idea that if Dr. Death wins the tournament, we're rolling into WrestleMania, like in a stadium. <laughs> no, like, you're 100% right. That's what was unfair about it, because Bart could have just got the exact same mini push that Dr. Death would have got. But I understand why why JR is that way about it, because it is, uh, I'd imagine it's a bit of a harrowing one for him. It's kind of, it's infamous in, as far as his kind of dealings with the whole thing. It's hard not to feel for Bart. I mean, especially when he was talking about, like, this MMA rematch that he was chasing, and it's like, oh my god, man, this is this is kind of brutal. But he seemed to be in a relatively good spot with it. He kind of put it in its place, I guess, as best he could. He still had the gold gloves, looking like a an older Randy Orton out there. I love the I love the brawl for all because, like you said, it's bad MMA, and I like my MMA either very high level and technical and good, or I just like it to be the absolute worst because then I can laugh at it, and because. Like these wrestlers, you do you do hear these stories of like how tough they are and how they they're beating up people and how like oh yeah if we get into a fight like I would beat up this guy and it's like all right well now's your chance to go out there and like fight these people like I would I the top guys aren't going to do it Austin wasn't going to do it Undertaker even though Undertaker is the best pure striker in the history of the business he wasn't going out there to do this brawl for all you think if Undertaker did it like the moment he just started taping up his gloves people were like nope I'm out I'm done not going to do this I'm, I'm not competing against this man well that's I was listening to I can't remember who was talking about it recently but someone was, was saying that when JBL fought Bart like the, the whole word backstage was just like make sure you don't like fall too bad for John, like you, like, that's the hilarious part of it to me was the whole thing was to get Bradshaw knocked out, but by the time he got knocked out, it wasn't even like a big deal because it was like, of course he's getting knocked out. It's Bart Gunn, dude. The guy's got he's got a hammer on the end of his hand. Like that was almost the most hilarious part about it to me that he went from being the the dark horse. Oh my god, he's got no chance against Doc Drift to just being the absolute ultimate destroyer of all fighting. So yes, Undertaker. I mean, with that jab and the way back guys into the corner, I don't see. Maybe if you got one of those takedowns, though, that, that may have done something, sometimes didn't. Maybe if you got one of them, it'd be different. Well, yeah, the takedowns, I don't know how they score it, but, I mean, Undertaker would have just tapped him out. I don't think they had submissions in this thing, but Undertaker, no, <laughs> uh, well, he's the Undertaker. He'll create his own rules. He'll just tap him out. Yeah. This is actually, when you think about it, it's a well-booked tournament. You have your heel. Yeah, I know you're shocked at that, but listen. You have your heel, JBL. The whole thing is centered around him and getting knocked out. What happens? He goes all the way to the finals. 
he makes it to the finals, and you're like, oh, God, I, ju- I just wish this guy would lose. I ju- just want him to lose. The problem is they didn't portray any of this on television, no. but for, for obvious reasons. <laughs> but you're thinking, like, man, this guy, like, he got this bullshit decision over draws. Like, God, yeah. I just want to see this guy, like, lose. And then he runs up against Bart Gunn, and you're just like, oh, if anybody's going to knock out, like, I got to tune in for this. If anybody's going to knock out JBL, it's going to be Bart Gunn. This was extremely well booked. They just didn't portray any of it. You are actually right. <laughs> it was actually awesome. The way that he squeaked through the semifinals too, that was great. I was trying to figure out, you can help me with this maybe. So JBL was a good um, option as Russo's kind of like foe in this whole story because there is so many stories about JBL, which we only get into here, that kind of have continued this perception of him. I was wondering if that outweighed the fact that he went on to have this super successful career. Like, would it have been even more funny if Russo had done this to a guy that literally just never again was any kind of relevance and he's just sitting there chuckling on watching his big projector? I couldn't figure out if it was better or worse that it was JBL. Oh, it would have been so much better, at least for Russo. It would have been better if, like, yeah, he got knocked yeah. out and then it was just never hurt. Like, JBL, JBL turned out to be the biggest star of this whole thing. Like, he went on to have the best career of everybody. So, like, Russo can take pleasure in seeing him get knocked out. But at the end of the day, like, JBL went on to have title reigns and long historical title reigns and stuff. And he's... He was at WrestleMania 36 commentating. Like, the man's still collecting a paycheck from the company. That's what I was trying to figure out, because to, like, us, we know all the story about JBL, and that gives people a different opinion of him. But on a purely, like, them two level, it was hard for me to not just think about the fact that in, what, seven years after this tournament, JBL was, like, the heavyweight champ, and Vince Russo was doing stuff in TNA, and, he was, and he's watching this this fight back, and I was like, <laughs> man, this is a weird... This is a weird story. I'd imagine if you told Russo then what would have happened, he would not have believed you, right? Imagine telling him where he would have ended up and where JBL would have ended up in 2020. But here we are, folks. We're discussing it now on Distraction. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it was something. It, I enjoyed the adventure. I'm with you. Today. I didn't cover anything new, but it's just such an absurd story. I could watch it told over and over again. I, I want them to do it today. I understand they're never going to do it. But who would win – Today, like, let's kind of take out top. Like, Brock probably kills everybody. Um, but, you know, take out, like, the top guys aren't going to risk doing something like this. So if you just get kind of, like, the mid-card sort of guys, who's winning this thing? So I assume you're taking Lashley out of it. That's a genuine question because... Yeah, yeah, we'll take, we'll take, take out essentially anybody with, like, MMA experience, actual. Yeah. So, so, like, Riddle's out of it, even... Uh, the, the AOP guys out of it. Like you're taking out anybody who's had at least one professional MMA fight. Batista's out. Remember Batista fought in MMA? Oh yeah. Yeah. What an <laughs> opponent he had too. Um, I'm trying to think of what is the WWE's mid card. And I'm currently very confused. I'm Everybody essentially. I feel like, um, I never know their new names, but the, the larger fellow, Hanson, of the War the oh, Raiders. Yeah. I feel like he has a mean inside game. I really do. <laughs> That's I a good know. one. Yeah. I could see him. I'm trying to think. The, the problem is a lot of these guys nowadays are just kind of smaller than the guys back then. Like, you're not yeah. looking at Ricochet. Ricochet is great yeah. athletically, but yeah, I'm not exactly. thinking, like, Ricochet is going to be, like, some force. But, I, hey, Ricochet could jab and move. I don't know. He might have might have some fast hands and stuff. Uh, Alistair Black, I don't think he's had an MMA fight. 
Alistair Black mm-hmm. would probably be pretty dangerous on this. There's I no kicks, though. I was considering him to be above them, but you're right. He is actually a mid-carder. Titus O'Neil, would that be hilarious if Titus O'Neil resurrected <laughs> his career with a hard right hand? I don't know. Heath Slater, that could be his route to success. Imagine Heath was just a plucky fighter. Pulled through it. He was Bart Gunn of 2020. <laughs> I think, yeah, forget mid-card. Let's just go with like guys who are barely on television, but we know they're there. Like Tyler Breeze, Tyler. I don't think Tyler Breeze would be very good at this, but no. uh, you know, he he's one of those guys. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of those guys. I just struggle <laughs> to remember. I just struggle to remember them, which is why I just pulled Titus O'Neil, who did make a WrestleMania appearance. Yeah, note, right. I don't know Mojo Rawley. Imagine that we repackage Mojo as like a shooter. Maybe that could work. It's very tough. I mean, there's many of these people that get no TV time, but I just it's very hard for me to imagine them in any kind of fighting. Arena. I suppose it was that way before they did the brawl for all though, for a lot of people in their minds, right? I I mean, none of these guys are fighting in an arena right now. Um, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that the, the shooter gimmick is, is such an easy gimmick, too. And this is where they missed the boat on Bart, is because you could have gotten that B-level pay-per-view with Austin. You're just like... This guy comes in there, no gloves. He hits Austin with the the fist, like his right hand, yeah. his left hook, the an actual fist. Like Austin's done, and then Austin ducks and gets him a stunner, and then it's over. But you know, you can get something out of the shooter gimmick. They just, I feel bad for poor Bart. He should have, he should have had, should have had that main event payday against Austin at the very least. I've figured it out, Jeremy. Jinder Mahal's comeback. Oh, and he he's gonna have a main jab. He's a big guy. <laughs> We're not going to do any drug testing. We're going to just roll through the brawl for all, Jindam Hall, and that will get him straight back to where he belongs, Jeremy, on top of the card. <laughs> you build shooter gender against Drew? That's yes. Look, that's money right there. I don't know what brand sure is on. but They've got history, right? They've got a lot of history, Jeremy. I don't know if you've noticed. I'm going to tell you a new joke, brand new joke. Did you know, Jeremy, <laughs> that 3MB, the two guys that got released have been champions since? How incredibly interesting is that fact for you? I didn't. You're going to steal Sean's job uh, with the stats on right? Fightful. No one else has said that, right? Yeah. No one else has said that once. Wow. <laughs> what an incredible fact to it for you. I'm fine with shooter gender. I, I'm all for this gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> he's tremendous. Imagine it, he's like a late replacement, so he steps in like Rocky Balboa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's going to wrap it up for us for today, folks. We will we'll definitely be back next week with, with two new shows. We might be back this weekend with a new show. We're, we're trying to figure out the, the new scheduling and things going on in our own lives right now. But, Joe, where can the people follow you on Twitter? Well... You can follow me at Joe Holbert 5 There are no wrestling tweets, only Big Show Show uh, tweets. <laughs> Tweet me your opinion of the show. I want to have real in-depth analysis about it. Uh, the Brawl for All, we can talk to me about that, but no actual wrestling discussions. I've had enough, Jeremy. I think that's pretty clear after this show. <laughs> Hit the wall. Uh, and if anyone tweets me a gif of Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano resting each other's hands on on the other oh, they will be immediately blocked i'm saying that immediately blocked we didn't we didn't actually talk about that that spot for, for, for good we reason yeah. we did not talk about that spot for a reason <laughs> you're not gonna do a big feature on gargano and champa i will not do a big feature for the foreseeable future that's my announcement <laughs> on today's distraction i cannot do it the empty arena deal is too sad for me so hopefully eventually there's fans back in the building otherwise i'm retired <laughs> <laughs> just keep doing this show. Yeah. yeah. Um, where did AJ go? He's here. 
Oh, okay. I literally, when I initially picked him, I had the wrong way around, which, I mean, that totally ruined the gimmick again, right? <laughs> but, yeah, AJ made an appearance, and I thought it was only fair. He did become in as the runner-up in our March Madness tournament, so I thought I'd give him a different kind of shine. I'm sure he's happy with that. And he's alive in cup form, which is always good. He is. Has he gone live yet on the... Uh, no, I've, he's the not tweeted. He's not been on Mixer or anything from what I've seen. So he's he's playing this up. More power to him. I mean, I will say I was a little bit disappointed. Talk and Shop released a new episode with Gallows and Anderson, and it was either recorded before or after, and there was no mention of AJ. So perhaps they thought they fell out over this scenario. Maybe they were <laughs> upset that they got invited to this. I don't know what the deal was, uh, Jeremy, but I, I'm, we're still on the hunt for AJ. I want to make it clear. They think AJ may have set him up, or they got set up by AJ. They're like, why'd you be take on, us out to this boneyard? will be on milk carton soon, Jeremy. <laughs> why'd you take us to this boneyard out here to get us killed by... We didn't talk about his wife. You did. Yeah, and that's a point, right? That was a bad decision on everyone's, yeah. on everyone's part. <laughs> we weren't calling him Mark. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JeremyLambert88. Sign up to FightfulSelect.com, exclusive news, extra audio, early access to not Joe's columns anymore, and plenty more. Check out Fightful.com for all your wrestling, MMA, boxing needs, and we will talk to everybody at the latest next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.